0: Come on in from the lobby. It's great to have you with us. God's word as Tyler will be bringing it to us today. We'll be in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, starting in verse 17. Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go. God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you all. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on the book of Exodus. That's what we've been going through as a church this fall. And so this morning, we'll be looking at that short passage that Brian read for us where the Israelites, they've just left left Egypt. Pharaoh has finally let them go. Um, They've just left Egypt. And they're finally free. And so now we get to ask this question of what's next? You're free from slavery, and so what is next? So we're going to ask three questions from the text this morning, um, and here are three questions. We're going to ask, where is God taking us? Why does he take us there, and how is God going to lead us? So where is God taking us, why does he take us there, and how does he lead us? So let me pray as we begin. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. And that your word is true and that it can teach us and convict us and show us how much you love us. And so, Father, I ask that you would draw us closer to yourself this morning as we look at your word. Help us to rest in your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, first, where is God taking us? So our text opens this morning in verse 17, and here's what it says. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. So a little geography lesson would be helpful here. We have Egypt, which is kind of to the east, and you have... Um, Israel, Canaan, the promised land, and that's where they're headed, and it's over to the west. And there's this peninsula um, that connects, this is actually like the, the land bridge between the African continent and the Asian continent. It's called the Sinai Peninsula. And so the Israelites, they've left Egypt and they want to go to the promised land. And so you'd think they would just take the most direct route straight across. That's, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So you'd think they're going to say, okay, we're just going to take this straight line straight across. But instead, what they end up doing is they end up heading straight south down to the Sinai Peninsula. And the Sinai Peninsula is essentially a barren desert. And so we have this kind of troubling thought of why would you leave the ocean where there's going to be water and life and where there's going to be other people why would you leave those things and go down into the barren desert so the first answer to our question this morning when we ask where is god taking the israelites the answer is to the wilderness and he's leading them verse 17 says on the way of the wilderness." And they're going down to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. And this this is a place that's like barely inhabited to this day because it's a desert. There's no water. There's no food. It is not a good place to live. And so that's where God is taking them. And so we see that God is taking the Israelites from slavery to the wilderness instead of straight to the promised land. And so the slavery that we've been, that the Israelites have been freed from, we've been talking about it the last few weeks. Um, Chris talked about it. Greg talked about it. The slavery that they've been freed from was absolutely terrible. I mean, they were subject to harsh physical conditions. They were lorded over by other people who didn't care about them. People who killed their children, who made their lives miserable. And so they've been freed from this terrible thing. And so the natural guess would be, okay, so we're going straight to the good stuff. We're going straight to the promised land. But instead, God says, no, you're not ready for the battle that it would take to enter the promised land with the Philistines. So we're going to the wilderness. And here's how dictionaries and lexicons define the wilderness. It's, they define it as inhospitable, unenjoyable, how else do they define it? Inhospitable, unenjoyable. They define it as a place where we are not in control. That's kind of a baseline definition of the wilderness. It's a place where you don't have control. And a few summers ago, my friend Stephen and I, we led, we led a hike with a group of kids into, the, into upstate New York's High Peaks region. And so we led a hike, and and we call it the wilderness, but a lot of times it just seemed like we were out for this great little hike. Um, So we're out hiking, and we've, like, summited another mountain, and it's a beautiful day, and we're just loving life, and we have our six kids with us, and we're we're tramping along. And then all of a sudden, we're on top of one mountain, and we look, and we see some, like, thunderstorms rolling. So the thunderstorms are rolling in, and, and we start to get a little bit worried, and we realize that to get to the next mountain, we have to go... To get down, we have to go all the way across a ridge and up and over another mountain. And so all of a sudden, we're like, all right, boys, we're going to start running. And so we're running across this ridge, trying to get across and down and all of a sudden, the lightning comes in super fast, and just like that, it's right above our heads, and we can see it in the range over. And so we, we end up going and doing this thing called the lightning position, which looks a little bit like this. Um, and our camp director would always say, he'd say, this is also a good position to pray in, um, which is true. So we're, we're, we're sitting there like this, just praying and hoping that we would get, that we would be okay. Um, I didn't really care about myself in that instance, but I really didn't want one of the kids to get struck by lightning. And so I think this is a little bit of that wilderness feel, a little bit of the feeling where all of a sudden we have this dream that we're in control, that we control every aspect of our lives. And then all of a sudden something snaps and you realize, no, I don't have any control at all. And I think that's what the wilderness is about. It's about a place where we do not have control. And so I think this is where we should begin to see ourselves in the text this morning. The Israelites are headed to the wilderness God says, you know, you're not ready to fight that battle with the Philistines. You're not ready to enter into the promised land. And so, rather than go the direct way, we're going the long way. We're going to the wilderness. And so, our lives as a church are lives of the wilderness. So, what I want to propose this morning is that there are three places you can be as a human. There are three places, and there are only three places. You can be in slavery, you can be in the wilderness. Or you can be in the promised land. And from the get-go, we can rule out the promised land because that's, that's the new heavens and the new earth. That's when Revelation 21 says there's going to be no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more dying. That's, that's the new heavens and the new earth, and that's not here yet. So if we have three options, slavery, the wilderness, or the promised land, and we aren't at the promised land left, then that leaves two places that we can find ourselves as we think about our spiritual state. We can be in slavery, or we can be in the wilderness. And so I hate to break it to you, but those are the only two options, and they, neither of them sound super awesome. Slavery or the wilderness. And so some of us are in slavery. And what I mean by this is this spiritual state that the sin and brokenness in your own life and in the world has affected you so deeply that you are not in control. Slavery is the point where we are looking to created things. We're looking to our careers. We're looking to our families. We're looking to other people to give us ultimate meaning and significance. And when we look to other people and other things and other places and other careers, when we look to those things to give us significance and give us meaning, they can't do it. And so what they end up doing is enslaving us because they always ask for more. Your career can never offer you enough, so it will always require you to do more. The same thing with money. It always needs more. The same thing with relationships. There will always be something more that you want and more that you need. And so what we realize is that we actually end up enslaved to the very things that were meant to make us happy. And if the Exodus story has told us anything, it tells us that God is in the business of freeing people. That's the business God is in. And if he's in the business of freeing people, then that's what he wants to do for us. So that's slavery. And some of us find ourselves there this morning, still so attached to the things of this world that we really can't break free. Others of us, though, are in the wilderness. That's where God is taking the Israelites. That's what it says in verse 17. And the wilderness is a place of struggle, too. The wilderness is a place of trials, of difficulties and tribulations. The wilderness is this place where we aren't in control. It's like Stephen and I on top of a mountaintop. All of a sudden, we we thought we were in control. And then all of a sudden, things started happening and we realized we're not in control at all. And that happens to people in life. Right. It's happened to you or, you know, someone that it's happened to. They thought they were in complete control. And then all of a sudden something snapped and they weren't anymore. So if God takes us to the wilderness, that's the answer to our first question. Why does he take us there? That's our second question this morning. Why? Why would God take us to a place that's going to be hard? There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. Why would God take us to a place like that? The primary reason why God takes us to the wilderness is so that he can lead us. God takes us to the wilderness so that he can lead us. So if you're like me, following doesn't come supernaturally to you. Um, I don't mean following comes supernaturally to me. I mean it doesn't come supernaturally to me, if you know what I'm saying. The Israelites, they could have just followed the coast. And if they followed the coast, they wouldn't have needed to be led. Because they could have followed the coast all the way up to Israel, to Canaan, to the, to the promised land. But instead, God brings them to the wilderness intentionally so that he can lead them. We all want to lead. We all want to be the captain of our own ship. But you know when you really can't lead? When you're totally lost. <laughs> When you're lost, you can't lead. When you're lost, you have no idea where you're going and so you can't lead and so you need God to lead you. And so we're going to see that God will take the Israelites to the place where they don't know where they are so that He can teach them who they are. That's what God is doing. He's taking them to the place where they don't know where they are, they have no idea where they are and so God can then teach them who they are. That's what God wants to do with us. That's why He brings us into these places so that He can teach us who we are, and who he is. And so often, I mean, we're, we're willing to be led in like little small ways, right? Like when we get in the car and we turn on Google Maps, like we're willing to be led. Or, uh, or like a good tour guide. We want, a, we want a nice taste of the city. We're willing to be led in those ways. But the leading of our whole person, that's what we're much less likely to allow. The leading of our whole person. When God leads us into a life, into a season of life where there's sickness or where we lose our job or our home or someone who we're close to, something happens to them. When God leads us into those kind of seasons, that's where all of a sudden we're like, I want out of this. This is too much. Get me out of this season. Get me out of this wilderness. When we really feel like we're in the wilderness, that's often when we're like, "I want to get out of here. This is too much. Take it away from me." And I think as humans, whether whether we know Jesus, whether we don't, wherever we're at, as humans, we're basically in the human inner enterprise is to avoid having this feeling. This is why we this is why we spend so much time trying to be healthy why we spend time on our careers, why we buy like insurance policy upon insurance policy, even though none of them are good, we're trying to avoid ever feeling out of control. We're trying to avoid ever feeling like like we really need something outside of ourselves. That's like the American dream is to not need anyone or anything else. And we're just like, we're just building this kingdom. We're building these walls so that nothing can ever protrude and nothing can come in and nothing can hurt us but what God is asking us to do is instead follow him into these places. I had a mentor in college um, whose name was Dr. John Clark. And he was, he was a theology professor at Moody Bible Institute where I went to college. Um, and Dr. Clark, before he came to Moody, he was doing his Ph.D. at University of Toronto. Um, and so when him and his wife and their two kids, they were up in Toronto, um, My professor, Dr. Clark, he would often be writing his dissertation and uh, his wife would go and she she spent most of the time with the kids during that season of life. And one one sunny spring day, they were were at like a jungle gym, you know, like a little playground. And Kate was walking underneath one of the like monkey bars and a kid uh, just like tried to jump on her back. And the moment she landed on her back, she was paralyzed from the neck down. Um, And she she became what's what doctors would call uh, an incomplete quadriplegic. So she had little to no movement from the neck down. Just absolutely devastating and 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 shattered their family in so many ways. And so my professors, he, he was a theology. He was a theology Ph.D. And so one of his colleagues came up to him several weeks later when they're still Still, like, really processing and in shock. And one of his theology, one of his theology buddies asked him this question. He says, uh, John, how can you believe in a God who would let that happen to your wife? And, and I, Dr. Clark, John, he, he paused for a moment, probably because this question was, like, so wildly insensitive. Um, but then he responded and he said, He said to his friend, He said, I would rather trust in a God who knew what was going to happen and who wasn't as shocked and surprised as I was, than trust in some sort of God that had no idea what was going to happen and, or to trust in nothing at all and just think that this was a random twist of fate. And what John was acknowledging in that was that God led them into the wilderness. When we confess that as Christians, that God is actually in control of like anything and everything, When we confess that, it it also means that we can't let God off the hook. You know, we can't all of a sudden say, yeah, God is responsible for all my blessings and all these good things that happen. No, it also means that God is responsible for the hardest things that happen in their lives. And so what John and Kate acknowledged then was that God led them into the wilderness. And they would say now, and Kate has like a borderline miraculous recovery she can walk now albeit in like a limited fashion way more of a recovery than the doctors would have ever guessed but what they acknowledge now is that as colossians 1 says god holds all things together god brings us into the wilderness god leads us there and when life not is not the way it's supposed to be god god is in control of that too and it doesn't make it any better to try to say, no, this isn't God. God is out of control. We're led by a God who is in control. And when the struggle of the wilderness comes, when things that are so tragic, like what happened to John and Kate, when those things come, it's, it's totally normal to wish that we were in the promised land. Right. If we have these three places we can be as human beings in slavery, in wilderness, or in the promised land, when you're in the throes of the wilderness and it is that hard, like that story, when you're in that, it's normal to say, I just wish we were in the promised land. I just wish we were there. It's normal to want that because that's what we were made for. That's what we were created for. But one of the biggest problems that we have in this world is that we try to make our current situation, our own promised land. And by that, I mean, we're trying to make our current situation into like the ideal life, the good life. And sometimes we feel like that, that life, that like perfect life is just like an arms reach away. We're like, if I just had one more little thing, it would, it would all be good. Or other times it feels like that life is miles and miles away and we're not even close to it. And so if you're in the business this morning of trying to build that perfect life for yourself with perfect kids and a perfect house and a perfect marriage and a perfect career, if you're trying to make the perfect come here on earth, I just want to tell you it's not going to work. Every time you think you're getting close, it'll just get a little bit farther away. And then something will happen where it'll seem miles and miles and miles away. And I know a few of your stories this morning, and I know some of you have had that experience where the promised land, that good life couldn't seem farther away. And so whether you feel like you're close to it or whether you feel like you're far from it, I want to remind you that when you try to make this world your promised land, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. And one of evil's goals in this world is to make promises that it can't keep. That's what Satan, that's what the evil one does, is it tries to make promises that it can't keep. And so the promise that evil has for us, the promise that evil says is, oh, you aren't happy because you just haven't focused on yourself quite enough. If you just focus on yourself just a little bit more, it doesn't matter the cost to other people. If you just focus on yourself a little bit more, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. You're finally going to be content. You're finally going to be happy. If you just get a little bit more, a little bit more money, a little bit more security, a little bit better relationship, if you just get a little bit more, then things are going to be okay. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is when you, try, when you try to do that, it isn't going to work. And without Jesus as your priority, you are way farther from contentedness than you ever imagined. Without Jesus as your priority, you are way farther from contentedness than you could ever imagine. Because the only place we lead ourselves, and this is what the Israelites are going to see in an incredible way, the only place that chasing their desires is going to lead them is back into slavery. You're in the wilderness and you think, oh, if I chase my desires, it's going to lead me to the promised land. But it ends up sending them straight back to slavery. There's an old church father named St. Augustine, and he put it beautifully. He said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. There are only two places we can live this side of eternity as humans, in slavery or in the wilderness. The first question that God asks after the first sin in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve take the apple, the first question God asks isn't like, what have you done or why did you do that? The first question God asks is, where are you? He comes with kindness and he says, where are you? So it's what I want to ask you this morning, just the simple, where are you? Do you feel like you are in some sort of wilderness situation where things are so hard and it's like impossible to make it through another day? Or maybe you're in this spot where you're thinking like, things are clicking along pretty good. Life is good. Because what I want to say this morning is part of our role as the church is to go and be near those who are suffering and those who are struggling. And so if you're here this morning and this wilderness talk doesn't really resonate with you, you're like, oh, that's not really me. Like life is pretty good. I've got things under control. If that's you, then two things. First, not for long. Um, (laughs) And second, then your job is to go and be near those who are struggling. That's what we do as a church. We go and be near those who are struggling and suffering. And that's why this church is a body who have people who are going through all sorts of different things in ups and downs. And so if, if you this morning, you're like, I don't really have a wilderness situation, then go get near someone who does. And this, this final answer to the this, this second question of why does God take us to the wilderness is because he's been there before. If we turn to the New Testament in Luke 4, it says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he could fight against Satan and so that he could meet God. And so these are the themes of the wilderness. It's a struggle, but it's also grace. It's struggling with evil, struggling with the brokenness in our own lives and in this world, but it's also being met by God. That's the weird thing about the wilderness. It sounds so terrible when scripture describes it. But when people go to the wilderness, they meet God. When people go on top of mountains in the wilderness, they meet God. That's where God meets us. And so God shows up in the story of the Israelites when they go to the wilderness. He shows up with with Jesus when Jesus goes to the wilderness and he's going to show up for us. He's going to show up for us as well. Another thing that I want to say about the wilderness is that that struggle that struggle is actually evidence of our relationship with God. And what I mean by that is that when when you aren't following God, you don't struggle with sin, you just sin. There's no there's no struggle there. And so what I want to say is that whatever, whatever sins, whatever like personal things that you deal with day in and day out that you just can't seem to best, like that pride or that lust, whatever those things are, your struggle with them is actually evidence of your faith. It's not, it's not an argument that you're not a a Christian or something. It's not an argument that you're not following God well enough. That struggle is evidence of your faith. That's what that struggle is doing. And so, When you think about yourself struggling in the wilderness, I just want you to remember that God does make this promise. He says, I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to take you to the wilderness, but I'm going to bring you to the promised land. And the reason why the wilderness is better than slavery is because Jesus is there. That's why. So, our third question so we've looked at where God takes us, He takes us into the wilderness. And we looked at why God takes us there. He takes us there so that he can lead us. And so our third and final question this morning is, how does God lead us? And so if you look down at verses 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So at the outset, those two verses, like, aren't super relatable. (laughs) It's like, where, where is my pillar? Where, where, where are my clouds? Where's my fire? It's, it's totally reasonable to ask those questions. And so the first thing I want to ask is, so, so why, like, why, why does it show up like that? And the first, the first reason is an obvious one. Like they needed to see something. And so God was like, well, a, a cloud and fire, like very visible. And so that's our initial preliminary answer of why does God show up in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire? Because they could see it. It's something they could see, something they could, they could look at and follow day and day in and day out. The second reason, though, is because there's, a, there's things called a theophany in Scripture, and it means the appearance of God. And so in Scripture, clouds and fire are how God shows up. You could, you could count probably hundreds of examples of how God shows up and is present with us in clouds and fire. You only have to go back to Genesis 15 to see that when God makes a covenant with Abraham, God walks through the covenants as a cloud and as fire. So this is how God shows up. This is how he works. And so oh, we're like ringing the doorbell. It's exciting. God's knocking on the door. So when we want to ask this question of how does God show up, does he knock on our door? I don't know, sometimes, maybe, maybe that's what's happening. But, but the way that God shows up, if, if what we're after is an appearance of God, is God showing up, that's what, the, that's what the Israelites had in the Exodus, and that's what we're after this morning. Like, that's what we all want. That's why we're here. We're like, maybe God will show up. Maybe he'll teach me something. Maybe he'll comfort me in some way. Like, we want to know that God is real, and so we're looking for him to show up. Like, that's, that's why we do all these things that we do. And so what I want to say this morning is that the ultimate theophany, the ultimate showing up of God is the person of Jesus. Like, when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. Every other visible representation of God is subject to the very person of Jesus because Jesus had, like, a head and hair and, and arms and legs like I do. I don't know how tall he was, but he was, he's like me, probably better looking. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, it says... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Um, <laughs> It does say, it does say in Isaiah that he like wasn't much to look at. Um, That's like the, that's like the, that's the message version though. That's not the ESV or something. So, so when God shows up as Jesus, it changes everything because he's a person. He like could sit in the pews with us. He shows up as a person. But then all of a sudden we, we have this other problem and we're like, well, they got that then, but what do we get now um, and that's that's like the most reasonable objection to Christianity I hear um, and it and it's there's no there's no good answer for it like we don't get God in the flesh in the same way that they did, but somehow God says it's going to be better for you if I send the Holy Spirit instead, and that's like a shocking thing, but it's true that the spirit is better for us. And so, when we ask this question of how, what's the normative way for us to be led? Like God speaks in all these different ways and I know we've all heard amazing stories of different things, but when we ask this question of what is the most normal way for Christians to be led by God, the most normal way that it can happen is in Scripture. Because When God shows up, and it it says in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word. And so, the good news of Christianity is that we have an incarnate Word of God, that's Jesus, but we also have the inscripturated Word of God. And that's, that's the Bible, that's Scripture. And so... We go to Scripture to meet Jesus. Like, that's the best opportunity we have to meet Jesus, the one who has a body, but he's living in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. We go to Scripture to meet Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we get, like, super obsessed with this book. Um, so think about it this way. Like, when the, when the, the shepherds and the, and the wise men and the family, when they all come and, and show up to worship Jesus— they don't like show up and look at the manger and go like, oh, my goodness, this wooden box is so amazing. Look at what it brought us. We love the wooden box. We, it's the best wooden box that's ever been created. They don't, they don't get obs- so obsessed with the manger. They get so obsessed with the person of Jesus who rests in it. And so when we're thinking about scripture, we're not supposed to get so obsessed with like this book We're we're supposed to get so obsessed with the person who it tells us about. That's Jesus. Luke 24 says that all scripture is about Jesus. And so we go to this book just like the wise men and the shepherds and the people of God went to the manger to see Jesus. We go to scripture to meet him. And so if you're asking this question this morning of like, how is God leading me in my wilderness situation? Like, I have this terrible thing that I'm going through, and how is God leading me in it? The best place to start is in Scripture. The best place to start is here, and you can read it for yourself. You can read it in a small group. You can listen to it preached. You can pray about it. You can talk to a friend about it. But find whatever ways you can to be in Scripture Because that's how you're going to be led by God. The wilderness is hard. It's really, really hard. This life is not easy. We go through trials. We get sick. Things happen to us. But Jesus is here with us. And that's the difference between slavery and the wilderness. It's that Jesus is with us. And so we have an option as Christians when we're in the wilderness. Are we going to follow God through the wilderness or are we going to wander through the wilderness? That's our option as Christians. Are we going to follow or are we going to wander? We'll learn later that the Israelites are going to wander for a while. And one afternoon this summer, I went for a run with my uh, with my wife, Grace, and our friend Colby. Um, and it was like, It had been a long week. And so we didn't want to run really far. And we were like, okay, we'll just go for a little short run. I was calling it like a recovery run. I know that sounds insane, but that's what I was calling it a recovery run. And so I like picked some trails that I thought we could go on. And so we, we head out on these trails and somewhere on along the way, we took like one wrong turn and then we took another wrong turn. And, and all of a sudden we're like, I don't know. I wasn't totally sure where we were. And so at one point I'm like wading through thorns and ferns that are like as tall as I am. And I'm wading through them and I look up at the sky and I see like an opening in the trees. And I was like, guys, I think we're on the right path. I know there's thorns and ferns everywhere, but do you see the opening? It probably means this is the path. And Colby and Grace turned to me and they're like, Tyler, we're lost. (laughs) We're turning around. We're getting out of here. And so, so I want to ask you this morning, are, are you trying to make something a trail that isn't a trail? Like, are you trying, are you trying to justify to yourself that like, oh, I'm following God. Yeah. Like, look, there's, I think there's a little opening and maybe this is God leading me here. Even though there are thorns and there are ferns and you're like crawling through this forest. It looked more like a forest than a trail. So are you wandering or are you following because we all want to justify ourselves. Like in that moment, I just wanted to justify myself so bad. I was like, I'm doing the right thing. Follow me. I'm the leader. Even though everything around me was screaming like, no, you're not. You're being really dumb. You, you really need to stop and turn around. And that's, that's, that's this final question that I want to leave you with this morning. Are you wandering or are you following? Because in scripture, God makes it clear what he wants from us. And we have wise Christians around us to help lead us and to go before us in these things. And so we have this question, are we going to wander or are we going to follow? Because we all want to wander. We all want to lead. This goes back to us not wanting to be controlled. But God provides a way for us to be led, and that's through Scripture, just like he provided a way for the Israelites to be led as well. And the more you wander, the more exhausted you will get. The more you chase your own way of going about things, the more exhausted you'll get. And so the final promise that comes up in Hebrews 4 when it talks about this passage, the final promise for those of us who are exhausted this morning is that Jesus provides rest. And so if we're willing to follow him in the wilderness, he'll be with us. He'll see us through it, and he'll ultimately give us rest. The name of God, one of the names of Jesus in the Old Testament is Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus is promising to be with you in whatever you're going through. He wants to free you from your captivity. He wants to free you from your sins. He wants to take you to the wilderness, even though it's going to be hard, but he wants to take you there so that he can be with you. And that is the good news of the gospel, and that's why any of this stuff makes sense, is because God is with us. It might sound too good to be true, but this is your ultimate purpose, to, like, rest in the arms of your Father. And so I'm going to leave you with this verse. It says in Philippians 1, 6, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished, on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He started something in each of your lives. You wouldn't be here if he hadn't. He started something, and he's going to bring it to completion. And so follow him through the good and the bad as he does it, just like the Israelites with that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. Follow him. It's so much better. It's so much better to follow him than to wander or to chase your own desires back into slavery. Just follow. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us, that you loved us enough to send your son on the cross to die for us, and that because of that, we have this opportunity to have a relationship with you where we can walk with you and talk with you. God, we love you, and we ask that you would convict us, that you would draw us closer to yourself, and that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today and every day hereafter. Go in peace.